previously on Finding Tammy Joe. Some people had started creating resources to try to make matches in databases. They really took it on as, as kind of a personal challenge. There's so many different people who have different websites of different missing persons. People really do care. When I saw the picture, it immediately clicked with me. I immediately recognized her and said, hey, that's Kelly Doe. We are so indebted to them, I can't even tell you. I'm Veronica Volk with WXXI News. And I'm Gary Craig with the Democrat and Chronicle. And this is Finding Tammy Joe, the podcast. In the last episode, we talked about web sleuths, and we laid out the role that Carl Koppelman played in identifying Callie Doe, now known to be Tammy Joe Alexander. If you haven't heard it, now's a good time to pause this and go back and listen. And if this is your first time with us, you should go back and start the series from the very first episode. Okay, so right now, we're going to backtrack a little bit and talk about what was going on elsewhere in the country and how Tammy's name ended up on that missing persons report. Well, you know, in my genealogy research, when you go to searching, you usually find a little bit here, a little bit there, and you put the story together. Laurel Nowell lives in Arizona. At some point in 2013, she did something a lot of us do. She took to the internet to check up on an old high school friend, Tammy Jo Alexander. But it turned up nothing. Yeah, because when I started Googling her, you know, trying to see if I could, you know, see anything, because, you know, I couldn't find anybody still in Florida that, you know, knew or had heard about her, so I Googled her. Tammy wasn't on Facebook. Actually, Laurel couldn't find any social media for her at all. But she did find this weird post with Tammy's name on it on a site called ZabaSearch. ZabaSearch is called the Free People Search Engine and includes a message board where you can leave messages for or about people. That's where Laurel saw this one post from 2007. It read, I'm trying to find a woman named Tammy Jo Alexander. She would be 44 now and used to live in Brooksville, Florida. She became missing in 1978-79 and may have fallen into prostitution in St. Petersburg. The poster left some contact info and signed it. Thanks, Kevin. And as soon as I saw that, I just absolutely blew my stack. I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah, that was not the Tammy I knew. Well, I I called him. That's how it all got started. Laurel actually recognized the name Kevin as being Tammy's boyfriend from high school. He was uh, like an invisible person that I thought was fake. I had never met him. We're going to talk to Kevin about his involvement in the search for Tammy Joe in the next episode. But at the same time Laurel was reaching out to him, she also continued to search for Tammy online. She left no digital stone unturned. And that's how she found an obituary for Tammy's mom, Barbara Jenkins. That obituary from 1998 listed Tammy Jo Alexander as having died. No, no, I did not think she was dead. I thought there was something very wrong. Because, you know, I'm merely into genealogy, and, you know, when you put in, a, in an obituary that someone's dead, 
well, there's a death certificate somewhere. And I, I scoured, you know, the death certificates in Florida, you know, the ones that I could actually, it's really, Florida has not really a good ability to find death certificates, but I scoured and scoured and found nothing. So no, I did not believe that for a minute. The obituary also listed other family, like Tammy's sister. That's pretty much how I did track her down is from that obituary because it gave an actual place where she was from. So then I could tackle that, and that's how I pretty much found her. Laurel says Tammy's sister was hard to find. It took her about a half a year to track her down, but she finally did. I did not know about Laura. I didn't know who she was. Um, She told me who she was and what all had happened. This is Pamela Dyson, Tammy's sister. Half-sister, technically, but she doesn't refer to herself that way. She says she and Laurel started talking, became friends. She has some really good memories because her and my sister did a lot of things together. Um, And we just went from there. She is really computer savvy. I, however, am not. And she's been searching for her, and when she couldn't come up with anything at all, She's like, look, I think I need to reach out to the sheriff's department. Do you care? They might want your permission. I was like, no, go for it. Laurel was concerned that there didn't seem to be any public record of Tammy, including a missing persons report. Well, I found nothing. And I'm, I know people leave a trail. You know, you get married. Um, there's just a trail. And there was Nothing. Nothing. And then, you know, with Kevin's weird story, this was like a mystery, (laughs) you know, that I just couldn't put down. And maybe I'm crazy, but maybe, you know, I did feel guilty that I was just poking my nose where it didn't belong. I did feel bad, you know, about that, but I didn't see anybody else doing it. And it got that way up until the point where I just said, look, you guys, I'm sitting here waiting for somebody to report this to the police and nobody's doing anything. Um, I'm doing it. So that's how it went down. And then that's when she's like, "Um, you need to be calling them. They don't have anything on Tammy. I just didn't want to step on anybody's toes. You know, I just wanted to get it, work myself up to the point where, you know, Pam was okay with it. I didn't want to you know, do something without her permission. And when she gave the go-ahead, I went for it. And they provided her a number to be able to call me, so I contacted them, and a missing report was filed. And, you know, I put all the information out there um, on that uh, NamUs database. And that's when, over in California, Carl Koppelman spotted Tammy's name. That's when the connection between Callie Doe and Tammy was made. And that's when the case got its first real break in over 30 years. But that only began the identification process. Sometime in September of last year, I believe it's September or October, I went down to Brooksville. I did a DNA. Pamela says she didn't know that they actually had someone they were testing against when she gave her DNA sample. To that point, she still hadn't given herself over to the idea that her sister was dead 
and she didn't recognize Koppelman's renderings as looking at all like Tammy Jo. I don't know. The girl that I remember is the picture, and to me, the picture that I have of her from, you know, her high school, the last one that was taken at high school, just didn't resemble her. It just, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting, but I just didn't think that it looked like her. So um, it wasn't until January that I found out that Caledona Jane Doe was my sister and she was a match to my DNA. Current Livingston County Sheriff Tom Doherty made an official announcement to the media well, in off, January 2015. I can't tell you how proud I am uh, to announce that we have identified our Jane Doe from 1979. Many of you know how long this case has gone on, how difficult it's been. Tens of thousands of leads followed up so many hours of manpower, um, a stress on a small county like ours, um, just a lot of unknown that's gone into this case. And to finally be able to put a name to her, like I said, I, I can't even tell you how much it means, how proud I am of our sheriff's office, how proud I am of our community, and the teamwork that's come together to make this possible. Former Sheriff John York, now retired, was also at the announcement. Obviously, it's a very uh, bittersweet day. We always knew the day would come. Um, we knew the day we found her, we'd bring this to resolve. I don't think anybody in this room doesn't know the passion this agency and its people has for solving crime. With our partnership with the FBI, the state police, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, the medical examiner's office, the leads everybody ran, we knew it was just a matter of time. We knew someday, somehow, as Sheriff Daugherty stated, the internet, social media was going to make a difference, and it did. We only needed somebody to report her. Once she was reported, it was just a matter of time. Hard to imagine that somebody can just throw a child away. It's a great day to give her a name. The local media covered the event, and the news of the identification broke on TV stations, radio stations, and in newspapers later in the day. But to Laurel and Pam, Tammy Jo Alexander was more than just a headline. She was a friend, she was a sister, she was a high schooler, she was a teenager in the 70s. We're going to find out who she was, what she was like, and why she might have been so far from home. And we'll also talk more about that Zaba search post and find out more about this old boyfriend, Kevin. That's next time on the podcast. I'm Veronica Volk, WXXI News. And I'm Gary Craig with the Democrat and Chronicle. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite shows. Also, check out our website, FindingTammyJo.com, where we put together all the other material we've gathered through our reporting, like the obituary that led Laurel to Tammy's sister and the Zaba search post from Tammy's boyfriend. If you want to hear more about the case, join us Wednesday, June 1st, for a Facebook chat. Gary and I will be doing a live video from WXXI Studios, and we'll take questions about the podcast, the case, and the partnership in general. 
It's a great way to get a sense for what it's like behind the scenes of Finding Tammy Joe. That's Wednesday, June 1st at 7 p.m. on WXXI News' Facebook page. Finding Tammy Joe is produced by WXXI News and the Democrat and Chronicle.